Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. everyone and welcome to the four corners podcast i'm shad here with matt and brad guys how are you uh doing good shad i'm doing good i'm glad to hear it and i'm glad that every one of you that are hearing these words right now decided to join us for this episode as always we'll take care of our shout outs right here at the beginning the first one goes to collar and elbow the wrestling brand collar and elbow brand.com Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast, the number four capital C and Corners capital P and Podcast to save ten percent off your order. Uh, they do have uh, they they've reintroduced some other old designs. Um, they brought back the Ichiban uh, shirt, and then there's a, another new one that they had. And right now, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they are getting some new designs back out. They have a uh, mirror, what they call mirror. Which is like the collar, and then the elbow is like uh, underneath it, inverted. Yes. That's a blue blue shirt, really nice right. blue color. They had that one. They have uh, a property of collar and elbow shirt, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of like if you've seen like the WWE uh, product of Performance Center shirts. It's kind of based on that kind of. Yeah. Which um, is kind of a throwback to that early mid '90s style that was around. Uh, I have so many wrestling T-shirts, <laughs> but <laughs> but I might um I might get some some more from Collar and yeah. Elbow. Use, either using our code or maybe waiting till the the holidays for uh, some of the specials they run. Yep. If they want if if they ask you to put in a code, you can only put in one code. But if it's just a special, you can stack the code with it. Mm. So, all right. The other shout out. Um, since I grew up and I wrestled in that part of the world, uh, Southeast Kentucky is trying to rebuild from the god-awful once-in-a-century flood event they had happen. Uh, so I'm going to recommend that if you feel so inclined to help out, um, if you would like – okay, I'm going to give you some new ways to do it because typically if you're looking for just straight donation, go through Apple Shop, appalshop.org. They're uh, a really good nonprofit that has been working in the region for, you know, 60 years. And they can be a clearinghouse if you're looking to do donations. If you would like to donate for, uh, you know, proceeds of sale of this, go to it. Then Appalachian Apparel, uh, New Frontier Apparel, and Hill and Holler Apparel have all been running. Um, shirts that are uh, proceeds go towards uh, flood relief. With all of that being said, our other shout out goes over to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne. You know, uh, Triple H has been bringing back a lot of talent to the WWE. Yeah. Uh, and I say that Orlando Cologne should be one of them. 
Like, yeah. I would love to see him back in the Fed. Uh, I don't think I he's big him. enough or boring enough to be on Triple H's uh, <laughs> higher list. Perhaps not. Um, look, they just did they just did the NWA paper. They did two nights of NWA pay per view, and it's like again, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. It's like you're gonna have the champion compete against Titus. Yeah. It's like no, no, like stop. And it, it was everyone anticipated being a bad match, and reports are that it was a bad match. So you mean like you, you mean could Tyrus, you could literally call up Titus uh, whatever had a bad match. I'm, I'm fucking yeah. shocked. Yeah. <laughs> It's you literally could call up Orlando and get him to come on your show and challenge, and I I guarantee you, like I would literally stake everything I own. It's gonna be a better match. <laughs> like I that, and that's not even that that's that's almost like a sucker bet. I know I'm gonna win it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this week, uh, with the combination of everything going on in life right now, we have decided to bring back an old standby. This episode. Is going to be the bag of holding. But before we dig into questions that are in the bag, uh, there's been some current event stuff that we might as well go ahead and uh, and dip our toe in the water on. Um, so which we, was the first one? Do we, we want to talk do? about Raw first? Do we want to talk about a certain um, pedophile that used to work in NXT getting busted with oodles Woo! of cocaine? What, didn't he also he got busted he just, twice he just got yes. arrest, this is like his second arrest like in like a couple of weeks i think yeah, okay so for those of you that have not heard this and this broke today the uh fellow formerly known as velveteen dream got arrested again for uh, possession of cocaine and drug paraphernalia. Now, the drug paraphernalia, from what I have seen a lot in my line of work, has had uh, – that, that's kind of a Christmas tree charge. You can you can hang that on with uh, a lot of other stuff and just kind of rack, rack up charges that way. Well, they also – they also um... – they also charge you with a bunch of stuff, so then you can negotiate. Yeah. Um, plea deals and stuff. So, so yeah. You can, yeah. So you can plea for it, but in this particular case, you know, it's it. <clears throat> apparently, uh, Ashante the Adonis, part of Hit Row, has uh, bailed Velveteen out at least once, maybe twice, and Dream is arrested again for uh, cocaine and destroying evidence, and from one of the reports that I read, <laughs> and it, it's it's hard because if this is true, then I am I am shocked by it. he got pulled over, and when the officer walked up to the window, he had poured white powder out of a bag down the side of his hand and sniffed it, and then tried to hide the bag <laughs> before the officer walked up to the window. Oh my God! So without noticing the officer's right there. <laughs> If I was running WWE, I would fire Hit Row for bailing him out. They're not good enough or draws enough to bring that kind of bad publicity on you. I, I will just say, just in general, like if you if if your idea to dispose of the evidence is to then like just use it, like snort it or whatever, <laughs> like that. Obviously, we can laugh about it now, but it's like that's actually like a monument, potentially a monumentally dangerous move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking like there there is actually like a singer slash rapper n- named 
uh, known as Juice World. He was known as Juice World. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of years ago, he died. And initially reports like, oh, he died of a seizure. And then you actually like explore the story, get facts of the story. It's like he was in an airport and had drugs on him and his idea to like well i gotta get rid of this so his idea was like oh let me just use them all at once and it's like he basically od'd and died and he's like a young kid like 21 22 something like that yeah like literally had his whole life and career ahead of him like that that was his brilliant idea oh i guess better make these go away by by using the drugs and it's like dude like, don't don't do that how about, yeah how about let's 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 just give um some life advice to everyone don't take drugs into an airport ever i mean to be honest don't take drugs is a pretty good starting don't, point don't don't take them to russia and then be surprised when they arrest you for like how many years did she get nine years uh something like that yeah don't, here's, don't take drugs to russia either here's the thing another thing i've learned from working with the uh the populations I've worked with is that it is becoming more and more common for all kinds of drugs um, to get laced with fentanyl. And I don't know mm. why they're cutting stuff with fentanyl. Cause it's when, easy, but you are literally killing your customers doing that. If you they, have someone that comes to you and they, I mean, but the thing is though, I mean, do you think they give a shit? There's always more where those come from, but they don't give a fuck. It's bad business model, man. It's Especially, bad. I, I, I've heard that a lot of that stuff is like what's coming in from like south of the border, like yeah. Mexico, like the drug cartels there. Yeah. Especially, yeah and... especially in like Ohio and like Kentucky when you get out to like those, you know, hillbilly areas and stuff and like those like low rent guys that are just doing stuff. Like I don't think they give a shit. Or like around here, the – you know, idiots that do that. I just don't think they give a shit. But they, in a lot of cases, they just go for whatever they can get their hands on. And, um, well, as it turns out, the, uh, you know, you, when that, uh, a guy I knew had that happen. He, he got out and he got around some old friends and they encouraged him to, uh, you know, do some meth and he did and it was laced with fentanyl and they bailed on him and he was just gone like it it is drug culture has gotten vastly more dangerous ever since uh i can't it might have been sinaloa in mexico figured out they could just grow opiate poppies there in mexico and they well and they figured out the um pharmaceuticals to to make fentanyl well and don't forget we um the good old fda fucked us with the opioid crisis that you know yeah. the drug companies were in on uh, the sackler uh, family i i've got i will get on a soapbox about this mm-hmm. uh, i don't use marijuana i don't have any uh like i like i don't have any feelings about it if you do uh but i am hands down like in favor of using medical marijuana as a painkiller because I have seen uh, through my job, I have seen like the effects of opioid addiction and mm-hmm. it's horrific and it's drug companies make it so easy. The whole, if, the whole phrase like, Oh, like candy. It's like, no, they prescribe pills like, like 
candy to people. Yeah. And it's just horrific poison. And it's like I've seen I've seen medical evidence that people who are prescribed medical marijuana and use it, they have greater efficacy of that painkiller, that uh, analgesic, I think is I might be pronouncing analgesic, analgesic. Using it for that purposes, like it is far more effective and it's far easier and people don't have addiction or they don't have, you know, overdoses and things like that. It's that's I, so I will based upon that, like I've literally seen evidence with my own eyes and researched this. It's like I am fully in favor in, in legalizing marijuana use for specifically for medical purposes. And I know it is like but I think like destigmatize it. Like don't is far better use of medical marijuana than opioids because it's just so damaging. But obviously, like, there's no money in that, per se. Oh, no, there's a, the, the lobby for the legalizing marijuana things like a billion-something dollar industry. That's the biggest scam they run is uh, making people think it's not like – because the, the thing is a lot of those pharmaceutical companies – are mm-hmm. probably out there under different names trying to get in on the grow operations for that because there's a lot of money in there for that because you have to really be careful if your state's doing legislation don't just buy into the propaganda you need to sit there and read it because when ohio tried to legalize it it was a really shitty piece of legislation that gave it to like two companies yeah it, it gave them a state-sponsored monopoly yeah and you so you have to you have to really read that legislation because like i said there's a lot of money in that and there's like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those drug companies are in on that. Oh, they're pivoting in order to get their hands on that too. Yeah. It's I, I will honestly I will turn around and lay the blame for the opioid crisis on the Sacklers and Purdue because it started with OxyContin and the whole thing about it was, oh, this is an opioid that's not addictive, and they they dummied up evidence for it and they distributed it and. It, Everything looked legit, and they suckered everybody, and they gave out cool. samples. I mean, didn't like that, Halloween candy? Didn't literally. we just find out like a couple months ago that we lost like something like twenty years of worth of Alzheimer's research based on like some lies? Yes. Scientists told. Yes. Yeah, we did that too. Isn't um, I haven't seen it, but isn't the the miniseries Dope Sick on Hulu? Isn't that about? Like this, how this all started, and doesn't I think it, so? I think it even includes like dramatized uh, personifications of the Sacklers. I think there actually are the Sacklers in the show. It's just like it's obviously Hollywood spin on things. You know what? I'm gonna look real quick because I've heard of it. I have I've not heard, watched it because I've heard very good things about it, but I have not watched it. it my problem is that it's a um, little too close to home, <laughs> and so. I don't want to. Well, and and you know what, really, with the opioid crisis though is, then you had these people that were trying to do pain management and stuff, and then because oh my God, we have to do something when a celebrity dies, all these people got hard cut off of their drugs because of those um, unethical doctors that were just drug milling like celebrities, and then that led to people like going for illegal means of their yeah of their hits and then they started dying because you know like i said you know all these people can die but you know oh two celebrities fucking die oh we better yeah we better fucking do something that's that's the thing you know you get you get ten thousand dead hillbillies and nobody gives a damn but 
because apparently we're worthless. But to bring this back, uh, Velveteen Dream has he hasn't fallen off the deep end. He's apparently like taken a header. Well, and he got he had he had some. What pissed me off with him is he had some real apologists for the pedophile stuff when there was an obvious mo and a lot of evidence that we should at least give you pause to consider. Mm, yeah. Because the thing is, like, one accuser... Because th- think, about, think about that. When you have multiple accusers, how many people go through their whole life without some sort of accusation like that? Right. And so when... It's like the, the Deshaun Watson thing. Like, when 90% of your accusers could be totally lying and you've still done it to multiple people, like, it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when... I'm a firm believer, like, if, when there, if there is enough smoke, there's got to be some sort of fire going on there. Yeah. And that was, I think, like, the issue, like, back, back in the day with Joey Ryan. It's like, okay, if one person accuses you of something, it's like, well, depending upon how detailed the factual report is, it's like, you can make a judgment call. It's like, well, it's almost like a she said, she said but once it's, like, 20 people come forward, it's like, okay, they're not – 20 people aren't lying. And like you're, you're dealing with a Weinstein Cosby level thing. Yes. And point. and a lot of them had no reason to and I, I like people like Vanessa Craven, I felt like I don't have any reason to doubt anything she would say because she had nothing to like gain from it. Yeah. That creep was working at Disney too. Ugh. They he yeah. was. I guess they he got he had a probationary period and then he at the end of probationary period he was not hired full on. Yeah. Good. Fuck maybe that. someone, maybe someone clued them in to what was going on with his uh, his life. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, oddly enough, it, that came out of Reddit again. Uh, we did it Reddit, and uh, they told somebody got a hold of po- folks at Disney are like, do you know who you got there? And they said we did a background check on him. Like, what name did you use? Why don't you try Joey Ryan? And they're like, oh. Yeah, we're not going to be um, extending his contract or however you want to put it. He Our should have other... just said they were underage and Disney would have been fine with it, especially at the parks. <laughs> well, the other thing, as Brad alluded, was something that happened on Raw. Brad, give us some background, please. So we talked, I, I mentioned specifically when Triple H started booking that I thought he was getting a lot of unearned um smoke blowing up his ass about the booking of raw and last night i would say was his first massive unforced error as they did the women's tag title tournament and in the final uh, how do you pronounce her name is it alia alia yeah something like that and raquel gonzalez who have no real presence on the main roster or any reason for anyone to care beat Dakota Kai and Io Shirai for the women's tag titles after they had spent like a month and a lot of time trying to get Bailey's like stable over. Mm-hmm. And then it, it became obvious that they were just props because then Sasha Banks and Naomi came back and attacked the new champs, which means like, Bailey's group is going to get kind of marginalized because the new shiny toys are there. 
you you didn't have to have returning baby faces actually lay hands on on the new heel group. If you're gonna build to something, then don't have them touch. Give it some time so people look forward to that happening, right? My problem is like you've put all this time into building this stable up, and the first time that there are actual stakes, they lose. That's not like so why should anyone ever care about them again? Because they choked when it mattered. That's like if you would have had the NWO, like the Outsiders, not win the titles and Hogan, like, lose to the Giant. Like, that's what the equivalent of. <laughs> so, Matt, you, I think you had an observation about this, didn't you? It just makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking just, like, from a logic – I'm not – I'm not in the industry. I've just been a fan for 30 years. But since I've watched enough wrestling, it's like it's booking one-on-one. It's like, okay, if you're going to present Bailey and Bailey Stable as like a, a the hot the hot thing in women's wrestling in the WWE, like as a tag team with Bailey as a singles, just in general, like all the women uh, just have them presented NXT, Raw, SmackDown, if they're going to be like the tops, like they're the new thing, then it makes sense to have them win the championships and they're presented as like, let's just say unbeatable or, you know, at the top of the heap. And then you're going to bring Sasha and Naomi back. It's like, boom, you have like effectively a ready-made feud where you have Naomi and Sasha coming in and they want to challenge this team because they believe that they're the best, etc. And mm-hmm. you could have all sorts of segments and promos and maybe even, like, not full-on matches, but you can have some stuff leading up to uh, Bailey and, and – sorry, uh, Sasha and Naomi being challenging challenging the, the, the champs at Survivor Series, perhaps, because that's not that far away, like a couple months. And that would make sense. It's like people would be excited for that match. Like, you build it up to it. Uh, what you don't do is just, oh, yeah, they just beat these – let's beat them. Let's beat them to a random like thrown together tag team that mm-hmm. no one gives a shit about. Like one of them, one of them is like a nobody. Like Raquel Gonzalez has some pedigree, but like the other one, like I, she's like a nobody. She has been on SmackDown for I think like a year. You wouldn't know it, uh, and she's also been in developmental for like seven eight years it would be like putting leon ruff in this situation kind of like kind of yeah who was it that had the theory about whose idea this was oh i saw like uh yeah it was like some guy on twitter making a joke uh i think it was actually like i think it might have been like uh hangman (laughs) there's an account on uh on twitter that's actually like it's hilarious His, his his uh, handle is a Hollywood hangman, Adam Pierce, uh, which is a, it's like a, a dude, it's a parody account, but he um, he was tweeting like, oh, you know, it's like uh, Road Dogg's idea. <laughs> Road Dogg's in the back being like, no, 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 have them win. Like, it'll cause a scene. Like, people will be talking about it. It's like, well, yeah, they will. They will. But, uh, you know, people it, don't necessarily talk. People sometimes when people talk about something, it's not favorably. 
Yeah, and it's also like, well, then what do you do after this? Because now you have nothing interesting to do and people are going to go away. This, I, I told you guys, and I think Matt came around to my way of thinking that this was straight up like a Vince McMahon move of the last couple of years. Yeah, it's bad booking. Uh, and just to, also, I should point out that afterwards, uh, Baron Corbin, because he's an idiot and can't help himself, he was like going like, oh, yeah, I love this result. It made so many of you neckbeards mad. It's like you mean the guys that watched your show, the guys who like are the ones who actually care. It's like they, they are the ones who probably religiously watch this show. The only ones that are left. Yeah, they religiously watch the show because they actually are invested in it in some degree or at least invested in certain workers. They have nothing and you're going to out. Do. Yeah. And you're out there being like, haha, all the things that you cared about, you didn't get what you wanted. And that's good. Haha. Screw you. It's like, what a way to be. What a way to treat your own audience, especially like your hardcores. Like, why? Well, I mean, Corbin came up under Vince, and Vince had been doing that for years. That's you remember they... Bailey's feud with Alexa was, oh, you were a wrestling fan growing up? What a loser you are. And what in the world are you doing? What well, message mean, are you sending here? That's why they pushed Baron Corbin for so long and chased off like 60% of the audience during his like reign of terror so i just think uh, i mean that's probably a longer discussion involved but it's just i don't know in the long term how things are going to go for triple h in this creative role like right now and Meltzer certainly has like talked about this a lot lately it's like there is excitement for the wwe it's like what's going to happen and people are interested and they're kind of trending a little up. The ratings are a little up. People want to see what's going on, but they just fucked the that booking. Up. The booking is not like I don't like this booking move, and I, I have concerns that we're going to see similar booking in the future. That's going to be very Vince-like. Uh, I guess I'll just put it that way. And with the idea also that they're they are bringing back talent. Like they brought back Karrion Cross. They brought back Destro Loomis. Uh, well, they're going to bring back Sasha and Naomi, which is good. It's but Cross and Loomis, at least. He, there's also like rumors that, like, it, maybe sometime soon, or, or they're close to working on a deal to bring back Braun Strowman, which I'm not surprised at all. I figured yeah. he, would, I figured he would come back. And they actually are even saying like, oh, there's like a things are in the works to bring back uh, Bray, Bray Wyatt. Supposedly, and, yeah. Yeah, and I don't dis. I actually, I might be like different than a lot of wrestling fans or hardcore fans. It's like I don't disagree with any of that per se because some of these people, like you, in the case of like Braun and Bray, like you spent a few years building out to be like stars. And we can argue about what is a star, what does it mean to be a star? Like, did mm -hmm. they succeed in making them quote unquote stars? And that's a that's a fair discussion to get into, but. Let's assume that they're like stars in the sense that you know who they are, like the fans know who they are. There is a certain degree of legitimacy to them. And then I also don't necessarily disagree with trying to make stars out of people like Karrion Cross or Dexter Loomis. You can talk about how, like, well, they're not that great at the ring. It's like, well, that may be fair, but when has the WWE necessarily always been like a, a work promotion versus like getting characters over, you know, building stars, quote, air quotes. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with any of that, but it's also like, what are you going to do with the future? Because you've, you've actually like fired all of your good talent, and they've all gone to AEW. 
Or they've <laughs> gone they, to Japan. Yeah. So it's like you can try you can try to bring those people back and apparently like they have been because they're like trying to contact AEW contracted talent to the point where Tony Khan is having to send like legal letters. It's like stop trying to tamper with my contracts. Yeah. Uh so they're trying to do something like that, but it's also like, okay, you well you don't have like the young talent. So I think that they're fine for another like year or so. But unless the people in developmental pan out, which I I have lim I have limited hopes about a lot of those guys. Yeah, but the, uh, the problem is their training sucks. Like that one guy that signed – I can't think of his name. He was he was Harlan in NXT. Oh, Parker he, Boudreaux. Yeah, Parker Boudreaux. And he went over to AEW, and he's still not good, but you can see the vast improvement he's made with like QT and Dustin working he, with him. He is incredibly green. So asking – unless he's a wonderkin like Kurt Angle – like hmm. it, which he isn't no offense and I'm not even hating on the guy it's just unless he is something like that where you're literally like a once in a generation level talent like you're not going to be like amazing right at the gate like you need you need reps you need a lot of time and yeah. I know Shad, Shad can definitely comment on that it's like yep you need something you need like years sometimes before you get like I, co- like competent I even say competent yeah. not bad I will you tell you guys mm-hmm. I will tell you guys that it wasn't until Probably right around whenever I had to hang up year 10, I felt like, hey, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. That's how long it took for me to to feel that way. Now, I wasn't working as as consistently as a lot of these guys are, but it it takes time. Because you have to train a lot of this stuff to to the point of becoming instinct. Mm -hmm. And so it'll come naturally because. Especially if you're out there working and something goes wrong in a big way, you've got to have enough experience to be able to think on your feet and change stuff. And what we have seen from their training of people in the NXT 2.0 era is they don't have that. Well, no, even they, even 1.0 though. Like, look at Charlotte. She she still struggles with. If things go off script, like she has trouble adapting. She's, she's a lot better good. about it than she was. Yeah, but I mean, she was years into her roster run, and like there were some really bad incidences where like Carrie Sane got concussed, and she still just power bombed her through the table anyway because that's what the script said to do, and she didn't know what else yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, they, I mean, a lot of their talent struggles with that. And, like, we've talked before about how even guys like um, Drew McIntyre had to spend, like, eight years on the indies to iron out, like, the flaws in their training of him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So, ahead, I, uh, just to go back to Parker Boudreaux, it's, like, it's asking a lot to, for him to be, like, you know, quote-unquote good right now. But I do think he is in an environment of AEW where he actually has like a chance to improve. And that's a kid that probably like realistically would probably be better doing some indie stuff, maybe even doing like a, a stint in Japan. It's like, if you don't even have to be like in new Japan, like you can go work like Noah or you could even do DDT. like all, J- all Japan, even DDT. Yeah. And get good that way. And then mm-hmm. come back and you'd be much improved. Like I, I think that he has like a lot of potential so even I, even like his execution of like the stuff he does looks better mm-hmm. since he went to AEW. 
Yeah. And I will give that kid credit. It's like, obviously, AEW is like the number two promotion. So it's like, it's not a bad thing to be involved in AEW. But I'm sure like he was, I'm sure people talk to him where it's like, okay, you can sign here or have some sort of a working agreement here. But mm-hmm. you need you need more training. And I will give him credit that he like is being at least humble enough to be like, okay, yeah, like, let's do this. And like making go of it and trying to work out, you know, improve some of those deficiencies that he had and trying just trying to get better. So I, I think where their problems are going to be is okay. Who's going to beat Roman. That's a big, that's a big problem right now because Mm -hmm. they don't have anyone with the credibility to do that. And then to carry on with them for any length of time where you don't go back to Roman almost immediately because they spent what the last two years burying their roster. Yeah. And get getting rid of anyone that could do that. And then there's like you said, there's going to be this big gap where um, a lot of their old people are going to start retiring and they don't have they're not going to have anyone ready. And like, I think they'll fill some things in with some AEW guys, but it's not going to be enough or they're going to be bringing in guys looking for their like retirement check. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's just like they've they've. They've screwed, like, I think three generations straight of wrestlers of, like, giving them real credibility now. And I think he's got to bear the brunt of, like, they don't have stars, really. Like, even if you can say Braun and Bray are stars, they're not stars because they never beat a star. Because, you know, Undertaker never really put anyone over. Brock never really put anyone over. Even Austin is still not putting anyone over. Like, they don't... Those Attitude Era guys never put anyone over like to any real degree but the only person that i can think of off the top that did that was foley made it a point to do it yeah but i mean he was like the least but the problem there though is he was like he had the least like rub to give anyone yeah but that, you know, I, I can come up with out of all of that off the top of my head, I can only come up with one. Because he, he used and, that rub on Triple H and then he didn't have like that same. Well, and he came back and did that with Edge and Orton, too. But it, it's it wasn't as big a deal. No, no. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how WWE develops. Um, but. This is going to go to our first question out of the bag, and it's also – this is from a more recent thing as well as we start reaching a little further backward. Um, but just kind of general opinions on the whole breakdown between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara. If you don't have the background on it, I'll do it super quick. Kingston and Guevara were having a program. Guevara cut a promo that was being taped for television and Kingston took a great issue with it and apparently got in Sammy's face backstage, chewed him out, and pie-faced him. He got a two-week suspension, and whenever the news on it broke, Kingston's response was, yeah, I should not have done that. That's all on me. I'm and, not saying uh, it anymore. My yeah. And then it it just went downhill from there well, some, to the point where Guevara released... put out – yeah, Guevara put out his own statement, and he asked that his statement be verbatim, and it seemed like a whole bunch of back-padding, not-my-fault stuff. And then yeah. Kingston went to town. Yeah, I, I 
I really, really didn't like Sammy's statement because yeah. I, I, it's the most self-serving bunch of bullshit. Like I've read a long time. It's like even yeah. if you, like I, I don't. I guess you don't really know what's true, and Kingston is not saying anymore. Like which also makes a certain amount of sense because it's like the, the guy got suspended. Like he served like a two week suspension or such, however long it was, for this incident. I mm-hmm. uh, so it's like I can see where where management, um, Tony or whomever, was probably like. You guys suspended. I don't want you talking about this to the media or what have you. And then you have Sammy Guevara just like spouting off his mouth. And he's saying shit. Let me look at some of the exact words where he's like he's basically calling out like Eddie saying like, oh, Eddie never communicated to me what he didn't once said. So it's like, okay, but I mean, you should know, like you should probably tread lightly on certain things. Or maybe you can present things in a certain way. But then he's also the problem Eddie had with it was it wasn't. It wasn't that he called him like fat. It was that it buried the match because Eddie was going to win. It's like, well, then you just lost to a fat guy. Like it, it was the yeah. Jericho story again. Yeah. Yeah. Which... It was it was the Bulldog Bob Brown story that Jericho had in his first book. And, and Guevara called Guevara called Eddie a fat piece of shit as yeah. part of the promo. Now, Eddie's problem is because he's been called worse. Yeah. His problem is not that you called him that. His problem is don't do that to build up to a match because when you lose, and in this case you will, then who'd you get beat by? And then if you win, if you do win and you call your opponent that, you didn't actually accomplish anything. And the other wrinkle in this that really bugs me is apparently – after the whole feud with America Top Team and the TNT title and all that stuff, people were not exactly wanting to work with Sammy. Yeah, so that's post, been, that's been uh, very noticeable on the TV. Yeah. Post uh, Blackpool Combat Club feud with the Jericho Appreciation Society, people weren't wanting to work with him. And then Kingston's like, yeah, I'll work with Sammy. And then Sammy does this. Well, was, I'm sorry, man. Especially, too, because I think Eddie was like, well, like, look, let's do this. Uh, you know, I'll help you out. Um, mm-hmm. And this will get kind – because of, I, 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 I want to say, like, has anyone's star fallen quicker than Sammy Guevara's? Uh, he's still a good worker, but, yeah, like, he really – because he just comes off as an annoying little shit, and I think he is an <laughs> annoying little shit. Like, probably in real life, he seems like – my – I want to touch upon something you just said, Chad, but I mean, yeah. he's, uh, it's something my, my dear departed parents like back in the day, cause they're like Southern and, mm-hmm. and they were older. It's like, he, they would say something like this where it's like, Oh, that person has a, has a, uh, not, I, I don't want to say attitude. It's more like personality. That person has a personality of a hemorrhoid. And it's like, <laughs> you think about that as like, that makes a lot of sense actually. Cause the hemorrhoid is like a, fucking annoying and you want it to go away and yeah. it's right there sticking on your asshole it's like that's yeah. that's exactly right like he has a he has a personality like a hemorrhoid he's just grating he's annoying you want to make him go away and that works when he's trying to be like a chicken shit heel but there's been too much where it's like it's just annoying where it's like okay we know you he got married to ty conti and it's like that's great i hope you're happy but then you'll be like yeah i have a hot wife like you, what he's jealous of it it's like okay why like i i don't understand like this avenue of you like 
trying to rile up fans for the cheapest heat possible. Like, I, I don't get it. But uh, what you're saying, Chad, like there's a point. I remember this years and years and years ago from like a Jim Cornette shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like Jim Cornette. I really don't. Like, I think that Jim Cornette nowadays runs kind of like a gimmick and the gimmick mm-hmm. pretty much is very like misogynistic. It's a, it's very xenophobic and against like Japanese workers. It's often transphobic. Like, and I don't throw those words out lightly. Like I don't like to just go around accusing people of things, but I do think that he falls into those categories when he doesn't need to be. Cause it's like, there are people out there who actually like listen to the statements he make and they go down the, like the dark path. Yeah. When I think he's just running a gimmick. That yeah. said, I Jim think the Cr- gimmick runs him sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. My only defense of him on the transphobic stuff is he's like, how old is he now? Like 55? Jim Burnett? I yeah. he's like, older than that. He's like in his 60s, I think. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's a 60 year old man. Like, give him a. I, I cut him a break on that stuff because you can't expect like an old ass man that's not that obviously doesn't keep up or like modern pop culture that much to be able to keep up with that shit. So I kind of, I kind of give him a pass there and I feel like people should give him a look. I mean, he doesn't deserve it because he says a lot of other shit he should get in trouble for, but like, I kind of give him a pass on that. Cause it's like, uh, he's an old man. Like be that as it may, um, he is a guy who knows wrestling. Now, I think a lot of his opinions on modern wrestling are not accurate or good. And we saw at Ring of Honor, he doesn't know how to cater to yeah, modern but fans. But he, he has made like some really good points in this like old shoot that I listened to. He was kind of like working through like the psycholo- psychology of wrestling, and he made a point that I I always have remembered, and I because I think it's like sound advice. Sammy did what you don't want to do. It's like you don't want to then paint your – okay, I'm painting my opponent as like a fat piece of shit. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Eddie was upset about it because it's like, okay, well, I'm supposed to go over you. So you've made yourself look good and me look bad even though I'm going over because you painted me as a fat piece of shit. So it's like you lose, you lost to me. You don't get over because you lost to a fat piece of shit, and I don't get over because people think I'm like a chump. Mm-hmm. And that makes no sense where, where Jim Cornette was like – you. If you're doing a promo, if you're the heel, like you're pre- presenting it, you always want to make your opponent look like a million bucks in the sense that you can hate on him. You can be like an arrogant heel where you're like, ah, you know, I, let's say you're Sammy Guevara, you know, against Eddie Kingston. It's like you can go out there and be like, oh, yeah, Eddie Kingston's a tough guy. Like, yeah, he can go out there, and he can, but he's not as good as me, and I'm going to beat him because of these reasons. You don't just go out there and be like, oh, yeah, fat piece of shit. Yeah. It's like no, like if you need you you subtly build up Eddie Kingston. You're like, yeah, Eddie Kingston grew up in the streets. Eddie Kingston can like kick everyone's ass. He can like beat the shit out of people. He's tough. He won't quit. But you know what? He's not as good as me. I can do all these aerial moves. I can go out there and run circles around him. I'm gonna beat him because mm-hmm. of that. And it's like you have built him up. You've made it seem yeah. like look at this really tough dude. So that if you lose to him, it's like well you just built him up as like a an ass kicker. Like of course you're gonna lose to him. But if you beat him, it's like, well, you made him look good, but you also made yourself look good because you like you overcame his odds and beat yeah. him. I know. So that's, that's like just simple psychology, but it works. And Sammy did the opposite of that. I, and to to give an example of Cornette doing that, so in '85 when the they are starting to slowly build to the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express, he sat in on one of their matches. It was a job match, and he's talking. 
they do the double drop kick and they ask him, he's like, well, how are you guys going to counter that? And he's like, well, we haven't figured that out yet, but we'll, we'll get there. The, um, those cornet shoots that you were talking about, Matt, I, I listen to them a lot in order to get a grasp on my psychology as well. And it, mm-hmm. it really helps because there's certain aspects to it. But the thing about this whole event that really sticks in my craw is Sammy did this to a guy who was doing him a favor when nobody wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is if this is how you repay someone doing you a solid then you know what? Never mind. Like you're not going to get people want to work with you. If TK comes to you and you're like, Hey, I was wanting to put you in a program. Oh, okay, cool. Who with, uh, we want you to work with Sam and you go, well, you know, I'll just wait. Uh, cause nobody's going to want to do stuff with him. And that's not not only is that not a good way to build a match, but that's not a good way to you know work build well, a good relationship with your coworkers. I don't wanna I don't wanna have to work with someone where I'm like, what are you saying? Because I'm gonna smack the fucking shit out of you if you say the wrong thing. So tell me what you're gonna say. Like you don't wanna have to police like the person you're working with and everything they say because they have bad instincts. Right. And it's the only thing that I'm aware of and this came out through the whole thing that you don't that Sammy doesn't want anyone to talk about was his ex fiance. That's a sore subject. Don't want to bring it up. That sort of stuff. And nobody's had a problem with that. Everyone's well, just left it alone. Yeah, but yeah, why I would you even bring that up? Like, I don't, exa- just, exactly. Yeah. I don't even think that he, Eddie. Like, I, I've, there's no like perception that he would have brought that up. Was she? Was she? Was it? I don't even know who his ex is. Was it a worker? Is there any reason no. that it would no. come up? No, okay. she was just a normal woman. But if you this this that's just kind of like where the the Sammy hate started. Mm-hmm. Is that on his blog? I don't regularly watch his blog, but it's like he very publicly, and I mean publicly, like on camera, like in the ring, proposed to his first like fiance girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then it was like a short time later. I mean, I don't even think it was six months, but certainly it was probably no more than that. And he's doing like video logs with Ty Conti involved in them. And there's like a weird chemistry between them. And that's when people kind of like were raising eyebrows. It's like, what's going on? Like, are they like together or what's going on? And then all of a sudden you heard like, oh, yeah, Sammy isn't engaged anymore. And then after that, you hear like, oh, like he's dating Ty Conti. And then it very well, the story that they're telling, which is very plausible, I'm not even saying that he's lying, is that he just broke up with his girlfriend. And because he he was friends with Ty Conti, then they developed a relationship like that happens. happens But everyone started thinking like, oh, like, like he Sammy upgraded because that feels like that feels like. That feels like a story where it's all true, except the timeline is off by about three months on certain details. There was a lot of ambiguity whether he actually had ended his other relationship before he started fooling yeah. around with Ty Conti or dating Ty Conti. So there is like that. And that's kind of where a lot of like the hate. not Well, yeah, kind of hate or bad feelings towards him besides just him being like an annoying little shit. Because that's why I don't really like Sammy Guevara. I like I think he's a good worker, so I don't mind seeing him. 
or him being pushed. I just don't. I think he's like an annoying personality. Well, in that, real life, it's probably annoying. That Scorpio Sky stuff got real crappy. Well, yeah. they they just. I feel like the the first half of the year, like they didn't really book the TNT title well. Uh, he was having really good matches for a while this year, and then like he fell off a cliff. I mean, that'll only get you so far, but... I, I think that Tony Khan learned his lesson, where it's like, stop stop forcing a title change on these Battle of the Belts shows, just so you can say, like, oh, look, it won. It's like, you can have... How about you have... If you're going to have, like, three or four of those Battle of the Belts specials a year, then maybe you have a title change on, like, one of the shows, and the other shows the, the champion retains. Yeah. Like, you don't need... it. Title change like every single episode. Or it doesn't need to be the TNT title every time. Why don't you? Yeah. Why don't you figure out when they are and plan your title changes? Yeah, I that that was a little bit where a lot of their booking sins came from in the past like nine months. Because mm. especially the Cody the Cody title change was really terrible. Yeah, that was that seemed very very much just like Cody. They they put the title on Cody. I think with the specific idea to have him drop it to Sammy. Yeah. And then and he then got there, COVID there was, and... Yeah. No. He either got COVID or there was a COVID scare where he was. And so he had to, you know, not... Nah. And then there was the interim title. It's just like, it's kind of, it got messy. And then it, nothing really recovered until like Wardlow won the belt. Yeah. And I think they should, it should be a situation where like they have, they had the belt on Wardlow for like a long time, like a year or more and have him just be beating everyone. Yeah. So, let me pick us a different topic to go into. All right, since uh, I need to AEW steal my bag back, you do. <laughs> uh, since AEW Fight Forever was announced and apparently is getting good reviews, and there will be people who will be added into it in the future, then this is the question that came up: Is what, at its base, would you say makes a good wrestling video game simplicity of move execution for starters okay so like no mercy and stuff that's all based on you can do a wide variety of moves just based on a couple of button presses where a lot of the wwf stuff fails is like you have to like if you don't remember from year to year like you might struggle to pin someone mm -hmm. because it's not intuitive Right. That's that's the way I put it is I want an, an intuitive control scheme. No Mercy and then on the PlayStation PlayStation 2, Here Comes the Pain, both had the benefit of grapple and then which grapple you do depends on the control and which or the direction and which button you use. Mm -hmm. And whereas as I remember Here Comes the Pain, it was grapple and then you had four buttons and four directions each button. With the No Mercy stuff, you had Strong Grapple or Weak Grapple, and then the Directional stuff. So you had a bunch of moves to pick from, and a very intuitive control scheme. Um, so that's that's a big deal for me. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead? Uh, that's, that's actually a good point. Um, and I, I didn't think the simplicity is best, because... Look, people people like certain types of games, and if you do, like that's that's totally fine. But I don't personally like fighting games mm -hmm. because I 
I'm just not going to go out there and with a controller be like up, down, up, down, like do like a weird like motion with my th- one thumb while I'm pressing like mashing buttons in like a sequence on the other. Like I'm not doing that to execute a move. Like I just I don't like it. Like I I don't want to have to do that for my wrestling games either. And some wrestling games are like that. It's like, why can't I just use like I love my favorite wrestling game series is Fire Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've obviously had that for different systems. But it's kind of simple in the sense that it's like you really have like strong attack, weak attack. Like you don't have that many um, variations with the ty- with like the the matches like in the and the the fighting sequences, the moves, etc. Like that, you don't have that much, mm-hmm. which you don't need to because it's all about uh, creation with like the cost slots, creator yeah. roster slots, and it's also about uh, the type of game matches you can have, things of that nature, not just needlessly making like really complicated move sets. Like I don't like that. See, you're you're hit. You can have a intuitive move set mm. that can have depth to it. When I would do create a character stuff on any game, if it was No Mercy or if it was Here Comes the Pain or whatever. I always, when I was especially doing the creative character stuff, like on No Mercy, my strong down A, strong grapple down and A was always a pin. Because then that way, it's like, okay, I'm trying to go for a pin and win now, I go to that. And I, I knew where it was, but I had eight options out of any grapple that I could do just from a standing strong grapple. That's not counting weak grapples or off-throat grapples or whatever. And... I know you like Fire Pro, but I it comes off less intuitive to me, par, probably partly because of the um, the orientation of the, the the perspective orientation of the ring the throws isometric. me off. Yeah, the isometric, and then the breathing mechanic throws me off too. And I don't think it's as intuitive, but it had a bigger create a character sweet than other games did earlier on which is another thing i in a wrestling game i flat out have to have i've got four gimmicks of myself that i'm going to put in this stupid game i need to have a good system where i can make them fire pro is right? better i use fire pro for simming like a federation simming on fire pro is very very good okay yeah i we we've had a talk about this before i think on the podcast it's like you could literally like it with creator wrestlers or just like with whatever uh, wrestlers actually come with the game, like you can literally set up like a tournament basically and just sim it and just have the computer do everything. And you might find like, it may be really interesting results. Uh, but sometimes you have like amazing matches. Like I remember back in the day, like on just on game pro, uh, sorry, game boy advance. I would, I would put it up there and it would be like, sometimes it would be amazing simmed matches Mm-hmm. That would go for in game time, like thirty minutes. It wasn't really like thirty mil- minutes on the on the actual like. You can run clock faster too. Yeah, it, and it usually would run faster than actually thirty minutes, but it would like that would be like the quote unquote match time, mm-hmm. and it would be like fantastic matches. I'd be like this if this was like an actual real match, like people would be going crazy. It's like crazy. It's fantastic. I yeah, ran a but it's fun. I ran a stardom promotion on World for a long time because they have some stardom packs and then you can get a lot of Joshi workers. So I ran like a big stardom promotion. Yeah. I absolutely love the fire pro series. I desperately wish that they would put a port of that 
on the Nintendo Switch. Anyone. It could be an older game. It could be like the Game Boy Advance games, a new game, anything of that sort. Like I think it would be amazing. I I think modern wrestling games, like you really, really, really needed to do have like an expansive uh, creator wrestler set. Like uh, I think they haven't specifically called it a creator wrestler. I think. But they have something like that in the upcoming AEW game, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm probably gonna get that one for Switch because it's easier for me to game off like a portable device like a Switch. But hopefully it's like hopefully it's good because back in the day it's like you'd have like uh you know good systems good games on the Xbox and the PS, and then you get like the Nintendo consoles that always get like the short thrift. But with the Switch, I think that's changed. I think but- they actually. Have, like, the Xbox, the Raw games on Xbox were always bad. It was always about SmackDown on PlayStation, and then they kind of combined it. And then they were good for a while, and then they've slowly gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. Yes, they have. And now they're just... I, I think the last couple have been terrible because they got rid of like the developer midstream, and they haven't recovered. So I think that with... A good create a character system and with good controls, I could probably be happy even if there was nobody else on the card. If it was straight up, you've got a good create a character system and you've got a good control scheme, and this is YPW, your pro wrestling game, do what you want to do, then I would probably be happy with that because I then I can make whoever I want to make in the game and have whoever I want that way. And you're not taking up memory with other stuff. Give me a bunch of moves. Give me a bunch of options and away we go. Hell, skip the entrances for all I care. That's not the important part either. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go back into the bag for a second and, I'm going to go for one that's probably – this one's going to be a little uh, short response to, but in the current wrestling world, if you had to pick up one wrestler and just move them to another promotion, who would you move and where would you move them to? Yoshirai and putting her back in stardom so she can actually work with competent talent on a nightly basis. <laughs> And not there be, be wasted. Some, there would be absolutely banger matches with her moving back to stardom. Yeah. I mean, she does good in WWE, but she is so wasted, especially, like, push-wise. Like, they've wasted five years of her career. The more I have, I'm watching Josie res, Joshi wrestling, um, and this is, like, unfair to say, but the more I, I do watch it, it's, like, it's so clear the level of disparity between joshi workers and a lot of women's wrestling even the ones who are at the the top level at the the, like the wwe it's why i get mad at like the overpraise that mediocre north american women's matches get that like everyone is like a a um celebration of mankind it's like that actually sucks why don't you go watch like some all japan women or stardom and you'll see that it doesn't hold up people people blow so much smoke up Liv morgan's ass and I'm not even saying that she I don't I dislike her. I don't. Like she's not bad. I li- I like her. Like I'm 
like casually like a fan of hers but she wouldn't she would be on like the absolute like the lowest tier of like most joshi feds like yeah like, like yeah. low like you're um you're your North American women that are going to hang over there are going to be like Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, um, uh, maybe Britt. I know Britt's worked some Joshi. Um, Jamie Hayter obviously made it over there. Piper Niven, well, Dewdrop made it over there. Yeah. Um, Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler's not that good. I don't think she could. I think well, Shana, Shana would probably Rosa. Rosa worked over there, didn't yeah. she? Ruby yeah, Ruby Wright could hang over there. Like that—that's what the kind of that's like. We're talking top flight talent that could hang. I would say, though she's very young, I think like she's very very good and competent. I someone like uh, Roxanne Perez. Yeah, she could. Ro- Roxy, like she probably could hang. And there has been a push in modern times, like especially like at least like on Twitter from like a lot of Joshi accounts that I follow. And like the Joshi fan accounts, basically, there has been a lot of talk that that a lot of like with since since Tony Khan has this working relationship with uh, with it's not it's like Cyber Sports, I think that's the one who owns like Noah and DDT. And that's not Tokyo. Cyber Sports. It's something it's Cyber something. Uh, let me look this up really quick. But DDT Wrestling and then and Pro Wrestling Noah and Tokyo Joshi Pro like since uh since there is actually like a working agreement between Tony Khan, AEW and them, uh, there's been a push that's like, well, why don't you send some of your, your female workers and have them do an excursion into Japan? And they don't have to be there like a year. Six although months that, would do a lot of people good though. Six months or even less than that, like three months. Like they would improve like a lot. And, you know, I thought that that, that made a certain amount of sense. But it's like, well, I don't know. Like, would it? Um, if you actually like look at someone like Kylan King, who I think just officially got signed back to AEW, like she has been just tooling around on the indies in America for the last few months, and she came back recently for a match or two, and she already looks better. And it's like she—that's just from her doing like getting experience on the indie scene here in the United States, let alone going to some place that actually has like far more of a work ethic well, remember remember when we watched starlight kid versus azumi and how complex the pinning combinations they were doing were and how mm. the lack of like hesitation to them yeah like i think even shad was kind of like damn like i don't know if i could do that yeah yeah some of those were were uh complicated or even I when think... we did the suri versus um utami one like that match was just excellent yeah but yeah i there's there's eo is working in an environment where it's like there's not really many people who are on her level like like training she has training wheels on essentially to keep for everyone else yeah that i it's not my choice brad but i did think like one of my my from my runner-up choice for this question would be sasha like she's going back to the fed but it's like i always did wonder like what how how would Sasha be if until they brought her back to the WWE, she had like six months in like stardom or something. Like, she'd I feel the, like, I feel like she'd get the living shit kicked out of her. For she's an pro- asshole. She probably would. But I do think that if she like really put her effort into it, like she would, she would come back very improved. Cause she's not, she's not a big, 
person and i think like i think with her attitude like she would get her face like she'd get some teeth kicked out and be taught some some um hard lessons Mm, possibly about behaving a certain way and especially like she might she'd probably get away with that in most promotions in america but there's something about japan where that stuff gets beaten out of you i want to give shad some reference because i'm i i mean i'm dipping my toes into the joshi world but I, so I haven't seen a lot of stuff, but I've seen, I mean, Joshi workers both in Tokyo Joshi Pro and in Stardom, they will do stuff that's effectively like comedy shows. So there's like a show with Razor Ramon Hard Gay, if you remember him <laughs> from back in the day. Like he has like a, a talk show or something. It's on like, uh, it's like a TV show. It's like mm-hmm. a talent show or co- a talk show or something. Very comedy based. But they'll appear on that and everything. It's like they... Both, and Tokyo Joshi Pro does like a lot of stuff too on on social media or ta- or game shows, and it's like it's so effectively like wholesome because they're just like most of them are attractive young women, and they're just like on there and they're like laughing and telling jokes. And it's like they'll tell a joke and they like laugh like ah, and it's very wholesome. And then you watch them like actually in a match, and they just beat the shit out of each other. It's like the the <laughs> dichotomy where it's like these like attractive like they seem very friendly and social and and joking and laughing and they seems everything nice until you like you actually get in the ring and it's like they'll no these girls will actually like fucking tune you up and like i don't know that i as a grown man would want to step in the ring with someone even someone like julia who's very attractive and not a very big girl like she's probably like five six a hundred 20 pounds or something like that she looks like she could beat the shit out of me because she doesn't look like she pulls punches she goes up there and like just i'm gonna catch a fucking uh forearm in my face and i don't want that remember remember so i don't know sasha may like it the the taste left out of her mouth and she steps out of line well remember too we watched i mean from the 80s that that dump bull one i was just telling my wife about that i'm like yeah like you know they're just beating the shit out of each other and then Dump just hands her a kendo stick and is just like, hey, let's get nuts. Like, yeah. in the middle of a match. Like, it, that was just the stark difference yeah. in style. The... Which, I love that match, by the way. That riot that they called a match. Mm. <laughs> we need to watch more Dump because she was, she was, um, she was quite a... So, Vashad, I think uh, you still have your opinion. Yeah, I did, and mine was a bit more pedestrian, but oddly enough in a similar vein is I would go and get Chad Gable and take him to new Japan and mm. say, here dude, go nuts for a while. Cause it, it kills me that just now the guy seems to be getting some of his due when you have another Olympic level wrestler. I don't know that he, he won any medals when he went to the Olympics, but an Olympic level wrestler that people like that want to get behind that does some really cool stuff. And yet what was the big idea for, I don't know, eight months of his career is, well, we're going to call you shorty G because I think you're short. They do dumb shit with him and Otis still like up until recently, like they, they've never kind of gotten past that. So, I'm in this I, I would say, you know what? Let's let's have Gable go to Japan and um 
let's you know let him have some fun with that and because I believe that the dude would get his working working boots on and do some cool stuff and Japan would love his deadlift German because frankly Japan loves the German suplex and I think he'd do I think he'd do well they did cool stuff in NXT but like he needs to go somewhere where the threat of comedy burying him is not lurking around every corner yeah so all right that's a good hold on Chad, I would yes. I said, uh, Sasha was not my pick, actual pick. Oh, I'm she's sorry. Who was your she's pick? She's my runner up. My actual pick, um, I'll do it briefly. It, it, same vein. It's like I actually would take Ron Breaker and have him be like in New Japan or just somewhere oh. over somewhere over in Japan because I feel like his like true potential would actually come out there. I'd probably oh, put wow. him in AEW because I think Dustin would be a really um, good – Oh, Dustin would be a great coach because for him. Because someone with that kind of freak athletic talent to really work with him. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He'd and be QT's, a... QT's a good trainer. As much as he's a bore in the ring, he's a good trainer, too. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it, but uh, people were saying that the recent uh, Dustin versus Claudio match from like a, a one or two rampages back, like they they said it was like a really good match. I was listening to on my uh, work commute today. I was listening to Billy Gunn on uh, the sessions, Renee's podcast. He was and really good thing, on that. I was shocked. The thing that jumped out at me is him saying, "You know, we've got coaches backstage. Come, we want you to come ask us stuff. Do that." And I was sitting there thinking, in this alternate world where I was still able to do it and good enough to get noticed. I was like, what would I do there? And I'd be like, I would want to go and talk to all the coaches and, and see what I could get from them. But Dustin is the guy that I would probably be my my go-to and say, you work a style that I admire so much. Please help me be better. Because Dustin is just staggering at – he knows what his limits are. He knows what will work, what will look good. He knows how to work it in a match. He also knows the he exact. Doesn't kill himself. He also knows the exact moment every time to come back. Like his mm-hmm. comebacks are just no one times them quite like he does. And his comeback spots are just excellent because you never look at it and go all right you've been getting your ass kicked for how long and now you're coming back with that no like dustin is this is going to feed into the next question we have here also dustin i want to know what 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 um mystical entity he signed with where he's getting better the older he gets I think it's just knowing what his limits are is helping him so much. But the next question out of the bag is, who would you say is your favorite unsung wrestler? And I've debated my answer on this a bit. And I would say Dustin, except we've discussed Dustin on here before for how good he is. He's kind of gotten his dues over the years because I remember I used to get in fights with people in around 2004 because I would dare people – to tell me why Triple H was better than Dustin Rhodes, and now more people agree with that line of thinking than don't. That it's funny you bring that up. That was a, a long-standing debate. There's like a whole thread on it at the the Death LA Driver board message board. 
mm-hmm. the uh, DVD VR. <laughs> yeah. Of which Tony Khan was a member, apparently. Yeah. No, he started uh, the he started the wrestling sleaze thread. Yes, yes, that came out years later, and it's like, it's like the blinking guy emoji or blinking guy gif. It's like, what you did? Really? What? Yeah, but that was a big one where it's like people back. This is like the height of like Triple H. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 2000s, and people were like, no, Dustin's better than Triple H, and always has been. And people made an argument, and once you actually listen, I, now I think the, the span of time, like it, I think it's clearly true. It would, it but, would, it would be unanimous that Dustin's better now. But this yeah. is a controversial pick back in the day. Back in the day, and you can, you can think like, well, Triple H was bigger in terms of like being a star, and I mean, sure, he re- he made events at WrestleMania several times, but it's like. Dustin is the better worker and, and, and has been like he, it's to me, it's undeniable at this point, but that was a long standing debate. And when it came up, like you said, it was like, it was contentious. It was like, what? how can you say this? Very easily. Just, watch it, me do it. Yeah, it's true. But I think so, about, I think about the time he came back in like 2008 and then they did like the road stuff like that sentiment really started to, to turn the other way. Yeah. So, like I said, Dustin's already got his, his kudos on it. I've already talked about how much I like Steve Blackman, so I can't use that. So I had to sit and think about this question for a while. And my answer might seem like kind of an oddball one, but my answer on this is going to be Paul White, a.k.a. Big Show, a.k.a. Giant, because we got to watch him get better and grow and become such a good position player that you could put him in about anything and they did put him in about anything and he made it work and he never lost credibility because he's the biggest dude on the roster you could drop him in about anything he'd be willing to do it if he could make people laugh while he was doing it i think he was even happier but he always pulled it off. Think about the, the freaking feud with the boss man. He was the world champion during the feud with Big Boss Man, and no, I think he the, began. He got the world title like right after that. No, because he had a match against Boss Man with the title on the line. Are you sure that wasn't like the cap off to that? Because I felt like that happened. But I feel like the the like the ridiculous stuff, like the the casket thing, and your a big uh big old bastard stuff you're a big old bastard and yeah. then he won it like at a pay-per-view like right after that stuff and then they did like a cap off with it well you know what well let's put it this way we'll need to check on that god damn i'm gonna be saying you're a big old bastard all night <laughs> <laughs> but it's just you gotta say it with a southern accent brad now did, did he do this right after um he killed pepper I think so. The timeline works that way. Like he killed Pepper and then he did like, cause the, cause I, I laughed so hard and it's still one of the funniest things I ever saw with him dragging that casket and big show, like hanging on to hanging it. Hanging on to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's, that's a guy who I believe is honestly just doesn't get enough credit for being good at being in the wrestling world. He helped himself immensely by finally getting into shape when his physical decline was starting to kick in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, there you go. That's 
I think that he just needs more credit for uh, being good in the wrestling world. So there you go. There's my unsung pick that we haven't already talked about here. I'm going to go last because mine's a loaded one. So why don't we have Matt Okay. Go? Okay. Um, well, we all, we've already talked about Jeff Jarrett and how he's much better than he's given credit for. Okay. Um, I'll go with one. Uh, I, I want to do two. One's an honorable mention. Okay. And that, that would be uh, female worker Nicole Savoy, who just retired. She was someone who's actually like a pretty good worker. She was Shimmer champion for a while. Okay. Yeah, she's uh, never sh- been seen enough, and they haven't yeah. put most of her like good stuff out on DVD yet because Dave yeah. Prozac can't get shit out. Like they should have actually. That's Tony Khan should have signed her, and even if she retired, you know, at the same time, like right now, like if she had had like a, a two three year run in AEW, like it would have been much better. But instead, he signed Big Swole, and that was like, ooh. Know, messy yeah. uh and nicole savoy was a really good worker um and when she retired i think it was early this year like she retired and she didn't have any bitterness she was just like i had a really fun great career so thanks everyone and she handled it with like a lot of class so i'm sad she didn't really get like a big run um but my actual pick is actually i was thinking about this and it's like you know what uh, i actually would go with like colt cabana oh that's because a good point because Colt has all I mean, I think part of that is because he is forever like a comedy worker. Yeah. Uh, but he's a guy who's very, very competent in the ring, can be serious when you need him to be. And he's even had like serious matches. Like he did a whole like series, a series of matches with uh, Adam Pierce. Which is. They traded the NWA title back and forth. Which is one of the most underrated feuds of like the last 15 years. Yeah, it's really underrated. He's had serious matches in Ring of Honor back in the day and was brought in mostly as like a, a I guess, a job guy. Well, or... you need to understand about him, too, is um, he wrestled a more serious style at the beginning. And he's he's talked about this on his podcast. So a lot of the comedy stuff he does is because he started getting concussions. So he changed his style up to a more yeah. comedy British style to spare his head and he's good at it he's really good yeah. at it yeah uh even times like he does like a comedy gimmick with the whole matt classic like throwback wrestling gimmick which like, I, he's a, I love that yeah he's a funny guy like he he's really talented as a serious worker as a comedy worker and if you listen to a lot of what people have said uh, read some stuff behind the scenes he's a guy that really has really helped out kind of like the generation that's that's now running things in AEW, like the Young Bucks and others, uh, showing them how to make it on the indie scene, showing how to market themselves, merchandising, a lot of like the aspects of the business that you may not superficially see, like he was involved in that. And that's partly why like when his contract was running out, the Bucks and maybe other people went to Tony Khan and was like, no, like we, we, we want him signed, re-signed. And they worked out some sort of deal where it's like he he is signed, I guess, with, with the idea that he's going to work Ring of Honor whenever if and when they have a TV show. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy that is kind of unsung. People just think of him like I think modern fans just look at him from the last few years and just think that he's a comedy worker or like a lower card guy where he's just there to eat a pin. But he's really, really talented. He's had like a good career. 
So I think he's kind of underappreciated. My, That's a good answer, Matt. My favorite. So there's two things I like that he did. So there's um, I think from High Noon in Chikara, he had a match with Archibald Peck, who's um, R.D. Evans is a really underrated, yes. underrated guy. But so they they had a match and um, they were doing this thing where like R.D. Evans was trying to shoulder block him down. And um, he finally gets Colt down, and he, like, jumps on the ground. He starts celebrating. He starts to do his march, and Colt just trips him. <laughs> but then um, there's this match he had in early progress with the other wrestler was called the dog or something like that. And so he brings all these tennis balls, and he starts throwing them, and the guy playing the dog starts, like, running after them. Yeah. And, um... But then the dog bites him at some point, and he starts rolling around the mat screaming, I've got rabies! <laughs> Which I'm sure was like an ad-lib. Yeah. See, here's the thing. It, it, I heard when I was working that people were told for the longest time, funny don't draw money. But if you don't have anybody else on the card that's funny, people are going to love the funny guy. So if there's not someone there, and I should have done this myself – Go be the funny guy. I really don't. People are gonna love you. I don't understand like that, that concept, because comedy has been in professional wrestling for like years and years and years. So it, you, maybe you don't want that like at the top of the card. Yeah. But you, you can't tell me it doesn't draw money in some respects. It's like it, the why do people keep doing it? If it didn't, if it draw like zero money, then why have promoters been doing it for like 30, 40 years? Right. That's the sad thing about Percy Pringle when he became Paul Bearer is like, if you watch like Percy Pringle in like the '80s before he was in the WWF, he is funny as fuck. <laughs> like just on shows, like just riffing and stuff, or when he's like with Rick Rude and he's just like, he's just like ad libbing some like stuff. Like he's hilarious. Yeah. So Brad, who's your uh, your unsung pick? So my pick, the narrative is starting to shift on him. And um, actually, Brian Alvarez and Vinny just had a huge rant about him, but mm-hmm. um, about how bookers have screwed him up and it was never his fault. He always came to the plate when he was called upon. But my pick is actually Lex Luger, because go back and watch Lex Luger in the 80s. Go and watch some of his like big time moments. And it's never his fault. He always shows up. He cuts good promos when he needs to. He's always there for the moment. And I even think... Um, when you talk about his big moments in his career, um, they kind of go a little better than Sting's. Like Luger beating Hogan on Nitro went over better mm. than um, than Sting beating Hogan. You well, know, his, we can lay that one on Hogan. But you know, then like his 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 final run in like '91, which didn't go great, went a little better than like Sting's early title reigns. Like he mm-hmm. just he just gets screwed by circumstance all the time, and like. I sent Shad that that promo where he's like the U.S. champion cutting a, like he's just cutting this like pissed off promo about how he's not on Clash of the Champions. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just great. Like, it's a great promo or the one he cuts like when he does the contract signing with Yokozuna that they then botch. Yeah. It, it seems like with the exception of that late 90s, like 97 WCW run that they just kept getting cold feet and wouldn't follow through with him especially in wwf and if you do that then you're screwing your talent because everyone sees him as a choke artist and you know what i 
Brad, I'm with you. It's yes, in in the the late nineties, early two thousands, even he will tell you that he was he was a complete and utter shit. And he said, you know, what happened to Elizabeth shouldn't have happened. And, you know, it's probably his, you know, he, he takes responsibility for that. And he, when, when we were, uh, Brad and I met him when we went to the, the wrestling convention, he was a super dude there. Like he had the spinal stroke, so he doesn't get around as much as he could. And we, we touched on this story briefly, but when we were there, my, my leg was killing me. So I, I had a, I had a walking stick, I had a cane with me just so I could be on my feet on concrete for as long as we were going to be there. And so I got my picture with him and stuff and I went to stand up and I went to grab it to, you know, push myself up because I didn't want to push the table and move it or anything. He leans over with his hands and hooks my other bicep to help me up. And I'm like, sir, I appreciate it, but, and I I never finished the sentence, but I was like, why, (laughs) you know, you didn't have to do that, especially, you know, with with the way his body is now, but yeah, Brad, I'm with you on that. He gets an unf- I, he gets an unfair bad rap because the wrestlers don't like him because he knew his value and did not accept less than that. And there's a lot of jealousy about him, you know, holding out for what he thought he was owed. And I don't I I don't know that he was back in the day. He was necessarily one of the one of the boys per se. Mm-hmm he may have thought because of his value like he just maybe he just like kept himself or whatever but i think he even back then i'm sure he was probably less of like a twat than someone like will osprey <laughs> is yeah although although if you do listen to like people like like sting like he luger did have issues with his with drugs and he did have issues i think with like womanizing back in the day Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that was necessarily great. It's not great behavior, but I don't think he was just like an unrepentant jerk. But to the extent that you think that he was bad, if you think that, like he – look, w- when some sort of tragedy befalls you, like there are ways you can handle that. And one of the ways you can handle it, a positive way, is that you can basically take the tragedy, learn from it, and kind of change your life. And it can humble you. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing because you can then improve upon yourself. And I haven't seen him uh, at, at shows or anything like that. But if what you're saying is what you've seen and what people are reporting, that he comes off as very friendly, very nice, very He's personable. He's kind of a sweet old man, honestly. Yeah. It, then that's someone who's like he has suffered, unfortunately, some, some very – like intense physical adversity he was brought to his lowest point and he then it seems has taken that opportunity to rebuild himself in a very positive way and you can't really ask for something better like he has been humbled by his experience and then has changed that to be like you know what i'm just going to go out there and i'm going to appreciate my time with fans and i'm going to have i'm going to have fun for lack of a better way to put it and i think that's there's something like really kind of beautiful in that like I'm, if he's going out there and he's having a good time with fans, you're obviously paying to see him and get his autograph. But if he's like personable, he's nice, you know, he's having a good time with folks. Like that's the best. That's the best you can ask for. Like he's being respectful to you. No, he's the veteran. Other than he Jim, was. Other than Jimmy Hart, 
he's probably the only person I've ever met at a con like that that was probably as happy to see me as I was to see them. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually fantastic. Like, he, I know that those events can probably be stressful for uh, for celebrities or, or workers, or what have you, because like sometimes people can be demanding about things. But if he's excited because he's getting a chance to see his fans and think- talk to them. I think That's there's something great. therapeutic about it for him. I think there's like a validation to maybe like his the mistakes he made or everything, but like his life wasn't like a total waste to a certain point. I think he's, and it sounds like he's leaning into that where it's like he he's then is making it happen. Like the more the more positivity he's showing and the more like compassion he's showing and the more like fun he's showing, like in greeting fans. Like that's helping rehab him. Where it's like, if people thought bad things about him in the past, like they're not going to be like, oh yeah, Lex Luger, he's like great at at, at conventions and other things. It's like that's gonna that's gonna be good because we talked about on this show before. It's like it's fun to see Jim Duggan at at events because he's like so like friendly and he's like signing two by fours and he's just like really gregarious and open. And you walk out of that, it's like ah, oh, I met Jim Duggan and he was so fun. It's like if if Lex Luger has basically adopting that where it's like you go to you see lex luger and he's like wow that guy was like the nicest guy and he was so happy to see me you're gonna walk out of that with a smile on your face yeah and, and it's you're right it's probably therapeutic for him too and and here's the other thing he doesn't take a picture from you like six feet away no no he pulls <laughs> you right in next to him yeah and i also you know while he was doing when i, I went to take the picture i told him how much i enjoyed that run specifically he goes well it was a spot that needed to be filled i said sir don't don't sell yourself short short someone had to carry the banner for the company against the nwo till sting got there he goes well it was a spot he was humble about the whole thing and i'm like i am trying to compliment you about my favorite run of yours and you're telling me well it was a spot that needed to be filled and it's like and and i told him i said we my friend and i had talked we didn't think anybody else could really fill that spot as well as you did. And he's like, well, you know, it needed to be filled. So I'm just like, take the compliment, please. <laughs> but he was so humble about it. It was really, it, it was surprising and refreshing. So, all right. The last question we've got tonight is is really the big one that uh, we foresaw coming out of the bag. Uh, peek behind the curtain. We do prep for these a little bit so that we don't sit here sometimes and go, more than, uh... Sometimes more than others. Like, yes. when I have the bag, I have, like, I, I I think of questions and I stuff them in and Shadow and Matt will give me one sometimes. But uh, the bag disappeared when I moved, so we've prepped them a little more than we used to. Yeah. So here is the, the last question for the night. Because I had mentioned back when we were talking about Spring Stampede 99, that Blitzkrieg was one of my big wrestling what-ifs. What could have been... What what if... What could have been if, if Blitzkrieg had stayed in the business? Here's the... What is your favorite... I didn't say biggest, but favorite wrestling what-if? Uh, I'll start us off on this one. If uh, Randy Savage and Roddy Piper had jumped to the NWA in 1989... That so was late 80s. Yeah, yeah, right after um Oh This would be right, right after, after Mania 5. Okay, right after Mania 5. Cuz um 
I know Piper, there was actually a contract offered mm-hmm. at some point. And I know Savage, Savage was in serious talks for it. Like I know, I know that's always been talked about and that was on the table. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think what would have happened with Savage is you would have come out of probably that funk flare feud and gone straight into like Savage flare. Oh, wow. Okay. Or you could have done like Savage Muda or something like that mm. to warm him up for Flair. And what do you think Piper would have done? Um, I would think he would have done a talk show, but you could have, again, done Piper Flair. You could have done um, Piper vs. Freebirds, Piper Funk, if you kept Funk around. Oh, my God. That would have been amazing. The the talking on that one alone would have been like fantastic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And by the way, you could have done Piper versus Paul Heyman in some form or fashion. Oh, that would have been fantastic. Oh God. Uh, by the way, I want to say yeah. that Cauliflower Alley Club just tweeted out of uh, about like the last day or so. They tweeted out a photo of Terry Funk. Yeah. Uh, like 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 a recent photo, like from the last few days, and it did make me look happy because he's an old man now like he's in his 70s but he actually looks much much healthier mm-hmm. he just looks like an old man like he looks like an old man like a grandpa yeah. um and he's got like long gray hair but he looks a lot better than he has like recently that's, that's true that's good because the the picture of mongo is just devastating. oh my god that's like i wasn't even like you know, huge fan of Mongo. I didn't have even, any dislike. Even oh. Meltzer reacted to that one. I was like, oh God. It, mm-hmm. It's it's very tough. It's a very tough yeah. one. Yeah. I actually have his autograph on a f- trading card. Hmm. I mailed it to him and he sent it back. Oh, that's cool. All right, Matt, what's your, uh, what's your big what if? <sighs> well, I, okay. Or what's I, your favorite? Well, it's kind of like my biggest one. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it's it actually it's like I, I could talk a lot about it, but it's like what if they booked the WWF invasion angle differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's tough because they they did get some WCW contracted talent, but there was a ton of talent that didn't come over. Mm-hmm. And what if things change? What if like the guys who turned it down? That Vince had offered them enough money that they wouldn't turn it down. They would just re- they would just sign with WWE. And it, the funny thing is, like within like a couple of years, most of them signed with the WWE anyway. I mean, if I they just right. waited the six months, that. they would have had Flair. Yeah. So what if? And then they had a proper invasion with like the top WCW guys coming in there, and you booked it to where it's like you don't have the WWF just winning. You don't have Austin leading the invasion for WCW. It's like that's stupid. Let mm-hmm. me let me just run down a list of guys that were not part of it, but because they either turned it down or were snubbed. Like right. listen to this list: Kevin Nash turned it down. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Jarrett snubbed. Uh, Goldberg turned it down. Sting turned it down. Savage snubbed. Mm-hmm. Ray Mysterio turned it down. Scott Steiner turned it down. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow turned it down. Luger turned it down. Uh, other guys that I have not. I thought not... Luger got snubbed. 
Uh, I heard it was turned down, but I it thought could he be... made a comment about him on that last, like on the raw opposite of the last Nitro. Yeah, maybe. DDP uh, got because uh, uh, he came in. He wasn't really part of the invasion, I don't think. His whole thing with Taker that was later, wasn't it? No, that was before. That was like the same night he unveiled. Oh, okay. He unveiled as the Stalker, which immediately fell apart. So bad. Yeah. It's so stupid. Other guys that uh, we either like were snubbed, allegedly snubbed, but Vampiro, which I don't know how you, I don't know how you feel about him, but he he was unique enough that he could have like they could have done something with him in the mid card. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Smiley. <laughs> it's like you're not gonna push him like a main event, but it's like he was a perfectly competent. Uh, like mid card to lower mid card guy. Yeah. And he's there in the WWE anyway, like as a trainer. Yep. Uh, uh, who else? Kid Cash. Like he wasn't brought in. Yeah. Um, Elix Skipper. I don't think Kid Cash ever debuted in WCW. I think he had like a match or two. But yeah, he, he, he was on a little bit. Are you sure that you're not thinking of easy money? I know Cash was there, but I don't know if they ever no, debuted him. Easy money as Jason Jett was yeah. there. Uh, but that's there's also people that were in there that you could have brought in like Kid Romeo, AJ Styles, a very young yeah. AJ Styles, oh, Christopher, Christopher Daniels, yeah. Psychosis and um Hoovy who they brought in like a year later, a year or two later. Yeah, there was so many so much talent that if you had like just worked out deals with him. I guess I guess they didn't um I guess they I guess they didn't decide to sign them until they accidentally bought those lawnmowers and needed to use them for something. <laughs> yeah. But if you brought them in, you'd make some deals with some of these talent. Like I think you would have had like a proper invasion, and it could have, it could have maybe extended, like the boom period. Well, ECW should have ECW shouldn't have merged with WCW. It should have been no. a three-way feud. Agreed. ECW being the guerrilla faction that just pops out of nowhere sometimes and wrecks stuff. Like each one of them could have had their own dynamic because here's. "Quote unquote," the WWF, the hometown guys, WCW guys show up. What's the counterpoint? Is that they they're working harder, and then the WWF guys are, but then the ECW guys just show up and just wreck everything and leave every now and then. So you have a reason to watch every segment of the show because you never know when the Dudleys are going to show up and just wreck backstage and be like, you know. You watch yourselves because we're coming for you or something like that. Was Raven hurt at the time? Was there a reason that Raven wasn't in the ECW Alliance faction? I think he was with TNA, wasn't he? No. That's way before TNA started. Yeah, TNA, was TNA it? didn't start at that point. Yeah, okay. I think I think I went to a Raw in late 2000 and Raven was, like, there. I'm not sure. Or even I don't, um, have... I don't know. They 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 should have kept it a three way feud. That was stupid, and they should have kept the McMahons out of it, except yes. for Shane. Shane would have been fine because they already did the thing. But like, ECW should have been a guerrilla faction. Yeah. Um, with Paul Heyman at the helm, and I they and even if they did merge, that should have been after like months. Like that that one raw they blew through like six months of storylines in two hours. Yeah, yeah, that was staggering. So, yeah, that could have had and and you 
you could have done so much when um, they handed the fantasy booking thing. Kayfabe commentaries handed it to Jim Cornette. He spun that off into there being two separate shows. So Raw is WWF and SmackDown is WCW style stuff. I didn't like his take on it. I thought actually, ironically, Vince Russo laid out a better groundwork for the invasion than Cornette did. I'll be honest with you, even if that happened, my disdain for Vince Russo is so strong that I wouldn't listen to it. Mm, yeah. Um, they panicked. Okay. That's the other problem they had was that they panicked because ratings were going down and rushed it. Yeah. So uh, my the one I'm going to go with here, because there are uh, there are a handful that I that sit in the back of my head of of favorite what ifs, but like DiBiase actually winning the world title is a what if for me, but it wouldn't really change anything. Um, another one that I really like is, you know, what if Magnum TA didn't get hurt? What would have happened there? But I'm going to go with the one that I think would have had the biggest ripples outward. And that is what if in the early nineties, Vince McMahon had gone to federal prison. Oh, what would have happened as a result of that? Um, we would have gotten like four to five years of Jerry Jarrett booking the WWF, and it probably would have been awesome. I forgot about that. Like the, he was the backup plan. Mm-hmm. Well, you remember because our my my favorite conspiracy about what was going to happen with the current WWE is if everything fell apart and Jeff Jarrett became head of creative. <laughs> well, Which didn't happen, but it was funny to think about. Remember, in like ninety. Five or 96 like bill watts booked like a month of raw and it was that it was like an improvement but then they had a falling out because of creative differences but yeah it would have been it would have been jerry jarrett booking for like a couple At years least, yeah and i think it would have been a massive improvement over what we got and it might have um it might i think we still would have gotten the monday night wars but i think we would have gotten some wwe F-isms out of the ecosystem that are still there. Right. Uh, the landscape, I think, would be a lot different. I think Michaels than... would have done a lot better as champion. Okay. Because because the problem that he had in that first run and where I think Jarrett would have fixed that is Vince doesn't know how to book a blowjob and <laughs> Jerry does. Which is what Michaels now, now that's rem Reminder... This that's is a not pretty boy baby face. Yes, that's a pretty boy baby face. That's not Vince McMahon wouldn't know how to how to manage a blowjob in a porno scene. That's not oh. what no, but because he just throws <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he just he's twenty million dollars in the tank for yeah. <laughs> yeah he just throws money at it until it goes away. No, but that, I think I think if you had Jerry Jarrett booking like Shawn Michaels Ascension and title run, that would have gone over far better because he understands like the dynamic and how to not get the crowds to turn on that. I think he also would have not been as permissive for Michaels as Vince was, so there would have been some more restraint, and Sean may not have felt like you know he can just run rampant and do whatever the hell. And I think he might and, have done something with Buddy Landell in that like two months he was there in '95, which I think also would lead us to. Um, uh, whoa, what the hell is my phone going off? Um, it would go with uh, 
the relationship with Brett probably uh, may not sour in the same way it did. And the ripples that could have on down the line, too. Now, I don't know where Brett would have fit in with his plans. I think Brett probably still would have been a main player because he was, like, the only guy that you could put the belt on that didn't, like, tank everything. Yeah. But then you've got... Because that's, that's something I think we've talked about, but people don't take into account, is being the guy that you can put the belt on and nothing changes business-wise is, is a quality in and of itself. Being a net neutral draw is still a positive quality. Yes, because you don't hemorrhage. Yeah. Um, stuff, stuff still goes well, and it's not... And, and Brett was happy with that. That's the reason or, that Kevin Nash called him the... the $500,000 champion is because it wasn't about the money for Brett. It was about, you know, winning. And well, and I mean, the thing is, too, though, if you having the net neutral guy when things are starting to go south and you're hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging fans and they can stabilize you for a while, like that's a valuable asset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brett we is have... such a mark for himself that it really, he's, it really <laughs> drives me up the He's a, like, Brett is a really great worker, but he is such a mark for himself that it drives me up the fucking wall. Yeah, I, I'm a huge, I'm a big Brett fan, but even I am at the point where I'm like, okay, you can stop, you stop bragging on Goldberg, like we all know, like we get it. No, but and he I, just, it's 20 years later, you're still like, just I, shit talking in the sense of a. My problem Goldberg. with him with that is, yes, Goldberg shouldn't have done that, and it was a mistake. But he takes no responsibility for the hardcore match he worked after that where he was getting hit in the head with things. Mm. or Because people think that was like his last match. Like, no, he worked like another couple of weeks, including a hardcore match where he was getting hit with in the head. With Terry Funk. Yeah, where he was getting hit in the head with stuff. And it's like, you can be mad at Goldberg about that, but like you need to take ownership of, of that you probably could have come back from that if you hadn't have kept working. Yeah, there, well, I, I'm coming down more on that of the, look, Brett, you you have laid that on him for, every, you know, for, for decades. He has apologized and said, I shouldn't have done that over and over again. And it, it hasn't done any good. It, it has done no good for him to apologize, for him to say... I'm sorry I did that. It shouldn't have happened. I should not have done that to you. And, you know, he said that repeatedly, and it doesn't doesn't do anything for you. So, well, he's he not going to say it anymore. He worked. Was it Starcade or the, or the Nitro where the kick happened? I think it was on Nitro. Okay, so he we'll say it's the Nitro and so he worked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He worked eight matches in in well, so he would have had about and so he worked the next night, so he his last match was one ten and he worked eight matches between twelve twenty and one ten two thousand, which mm. were um all after that and one of them included a hardcore match. He worked Flair, Sid, and Nash. So you know he's getting dropped on his head a bit. And he worked 
Jerry Flynn in a short match in a Benoit match. So, you know, he got dropped on it. You know, Benoit probably Germaned him. Yeah. Oh, that was a short match. Maybe not. But like, the, that's the thing is like, I can understand being upset with Goldberg for the, the, for that. But for one thing, it was an accident. He didn't do it on purpose. But secondly, like I said, you just worked like eight matches after that. You don't think that didn't have a huge impact on your your brain like that was like working those matches afterwards is probably worse than the actual head kick itself and i I don't know enough about it to be able to to say but it's like look man he's been saying i'm sorry for 20 years i just wish he'd take ownership for the i shouldn't have worked those two weeks after the, the the match and blamed him for it yeah all right well that uh the, the bag of holding seems to be empty for now, so I don't have anything else unless you guys have any parting thoughts you want to throw out. No, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Unless we well, want to shit on Dominic some more of it. He hasn't been on TV. We've, we've, done, we've done plenty of that, so we'll uh, – He hasn't been on TV. So, yeah, the, the dark match, if you want to hear our Dominic talk, yeah, our dark match goes in on that. So we're, we're diplomatic. It's not just a all in crap. It's not a on. it's not a Reddit hate fest. Yeah, we're we're pretty way. I'd say we're pretty mild about all of it, about saying he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so um we would love to hear from any of you out there listening about any of these topics. Hit us up. We also take requests, um, message us on whatever social media platform you prefer. And so This is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time.